Nine against the nine. 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 A podcast about Lord of the Rings. All right. All right. It's nine against the nine, y'all. Episode six. That's unbelievable. I like that we don't have an intro. <laughs> we do have an intro. It's it's nine against the nine, y'all. That's no, it. they play. That's it. it. We play a whole thing. There's a whole thing. All those people say it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're here at our fourth studio location. Um, should I say it's your house? It's Clark's house. They've we've always been at Clark's house though. Most of the time, we've predominantly recorded at Clark's house, except it was a small house. Yeah. Now it's a now it's a normal size house. <laughs> normal. <laughs> Air quotes on normal. I was conceiving of this episode originally as the ultimate fantasy bromance. Legolas and Gimli. Bromance seems good. And I was taking that as emblematic of the elf-dwarf situation in Middle-earth. To talk about Legolas and Gimli is to talk about elves and dwarves. And to talk about elves and dwarves is to talk about a complicated conflict in Middle Earth. Complicated conflict. We should probably start basic, right? Do we need to cover like what an elf and a dwarf is? I think maybe that's not going to hurt. Well, Santa's elves are quite different. They're cuz they're smaller. They're small and they are good at crafting things. Mhm. Yeah, that's Whereas a common theme. Here in Middle Earth, elves are tall, probably described as elegant, cheery, sing-songy, lithe. Sing. They're lithe. Live. Yeah, they tend to be kind of lithe, right? Define lithe for us. Define lithe. Slender. For the they're listeners. like they're ethereal and slender, right? Mm. Kind of, kind of airy. As, yeah. So like you could see like almost slow motiony. Sure. Shiny. Shiny. I like yeah. that. They're kind of like fairies. Exi- also, like, like Firefly uses the word shiny. Like, ooh, shiny. Who's Firefly? Firefly the series. Oh yeah, you mentioned that series yeah. a couple times. It's the name of the vessel right the class of vessel oh class of vessel is the firefly the name is serenity Mm -hmm. um doing some research for this episode i came across not like on wikipedia not in like the books that it was quoting i came across some of the some of the old writing that's been collected over the past you know like 50 years or whatever um the history of middle earth stuff it refers to uh he, re- he referred to elves as gnomes for a long time, or for a period of time. Tolkien did. Yeah, that was his original name for like... Gnomes. The, yeah, in the sense that I think that they were understood to be earth. I'm, I'm kind of inferring this, I guess, that they were understood as like earth spirits. Huh, okay. You know, we've touched on that issue of like, is Middle Earth old, regular old earth? You know, the hints throughout the book that like, this is a, this is a race of people that has inhabited here. In, I have, in the remote past. I have heard that Tol- Tolkien was trying to create the mythology or genesis of Great Britain. So he was trying to like write the prehistory. So like, like the yeah. Greek Greek mythology, but for Britain. So he was trying to make Middle Earth as Britain. It was like a fairy history, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the Shire, like the sh- descriptions of the Shire and the green hills and the growing things seems very English. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit earlier before the recording we were talking about uh, the Mist of Avalon. There's a lot of talk in that book about uh, fairies and the realm of fairy and uh, 
and and it seems to and and also not just fairies but like a class of people who are maybe fairies who are like the good folk or the little folk or the old folk you know like a like a group of people a humanoid people that inhabits england anyways elves elves um in english right and in english dwarf is a complex word i think maybe a little more complex than elf or elves okay I'll go, I'll go with dwarves, I guess. To me, a dwarf, and this is primarily, I think, informed by Lord of the Rings, is a short, bearded dude um, who likes to dig around and uh, lives, I guess, lives primarily in underground cities, armed with an axe. I often think of them as armed with an axe. Yeah, they have axes. They like axes. They do hammers. They like to build stuff. They like to craft things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the crafting is like mutual, huh? They love yeah. They love stone. Uh, I would also describe the Middle Earth dwarves as thick. Yeah, stout. Stout, sturdy, possibly thick with two or three C's, depending on how uh, youthful you are as a listener. <laughs> the uh, it's interesting that that's a direct contrast to the like what I said about elves. I was like, oh, they're skinny and they're long and uh, they're airy. Yeah. Right. Uh, the elves and they're lo- bright and scintillating and dwarves are like, like dark dark fire but small, they're also like not small. that dark because their halls are filled with light well they're they're compact that's unrelated to dark but they are compact as opposed to elves which are like stretchy stretchy Stretch. <laughs> what oh okay right so one is maybe like misdrawn proportionally too tall and elongated and one is proportionally misdrawn to short and stout in relation to us homo sapiens right gotcha if like a if you're a drawing student and you're getting your uh proportions wrong in a art one class or whatever you're digging out a quote huh i'm looking for something that i like from oh i even have it earmarked from the hobbit now is maybe a decent time to mention that we're going to go off text off lord of the rings quite a bit because we have to talk about the Silmarillion and Clark's already digging around in The Hobbit. <laughs> so this is, I love this. And I also, uh, I teach, I sometimes teach art classes and I love to, uh, ceramics is a good class and I've been doing fairly well with that. So I like to sometimes pull out this quote if I can find it. So this is in The Hobbit for my version, page 22, An Unexpected Party. Uh, Thorin is talking and telling like some backstory to Bilbo. Uh, I'm going to read from page 23 in my book. So he's talking about building the like founding the lonely mountain, and dwarves are living in the mountain. Men are living in a town called Dale. Uh, they built the merry town of Dale there in those days. Kings used to send for our smiths and reward even the least skillful most richly. Fathers would beg us to take their sons as apprentices and pay us handsomely especially in food supplies, which we never bothered to grow or find for ourselves. Altogether, those were good days for us, and the poorest of us had money to spend and to lend, and leisure to make beautiful things just for the fun of it. And that's, we'll stop there, because that's what I, that's what I like, the, the leisure to make beautiful things just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, in really good crafts, craftsmen, they make they're super skillful it also highlights um the emphasis in the culture on mining 
for jewels as opposed to something like farming for food. Right. So they love jewels and the gold and the, and the treasures. Artif- artifice. So there's, and there's like that craftsmanship is sort of like Santa's elves. And it's, but it's also going to Norse mythology, uh, the dwarves that lived sort of in the underground realm that crafted all the magical yeah, I things. I don't know too much about that stuff. I, I've heard that is a major piece. Yeah. Like, you know, people will say, for example, that Wagner's The Ring uh, draws on, or like Tolkien draws on the same sources that Wagner draws on. And I just don't know the work enough or the the legacy. Right. Um, they, the dwarves did build, uh, craft Mjolnir, which is Thor's hammer. Yeah, right. Okay. And Tolkien got a lot of the dwarf names from yes. The Hobbit directly from... From Snorri Snorrelson. Yes, Snorri, the Prose Edda, the Poetic whoever, Edda. Yeah, the I wish Edda, I was one of those Eddas them. of Norse mythology. I think, yeah. Do you think it's Snorri Snorrelson? I, okay. I don't know. We could check. I don't we even could have check. it. We could check. Let's not check. We're not going to check. Yeah, let's keep rolling. Um, you want to know, you look it up. The Edda. Poetic the other, Edda, Prose Edda. The other thing that with dwarf that I'm always kind of astounded by is that I think that that's sort of like the um, currently appropriate term for uh, for the condition of, of dwarfism, right? My understanding is that uh, the preferred little term is little people. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so then dwarfism probably isn't even a term anymore. I mean, it's a term that exists. It is out there. It's right. a word yeah, yeah. that is out there. People might use it. Some people yeah. don't. You think it's pejorative? You think it's moved I, to pejorative? I don't know. Language evolves, language changes. It seems like language, we're in a uh, time in of the language is moving quickly. Yep. Things are, new terms are coming up and then they're becoming outdated very quickly. What was okay five years ago may not be okay now. Sure. It's... Well, luckily for us, we're talking about fictional elves and dwarves. Um, in Middle Earth, there's... And in and in all fantasy, at least subsequent to Middle Earth, maybe even before, there's an understanding that there's some sort of animosity between the elves and the dwarves. Yeah, you think that comes from Tolkien? Ooh, I what's don't your know. what's your vibe on that? It's probably Santa. Santa's elves are really mad at the dwarves for taking their their shtick. Oh, because the Middle Earth dwarves are crafts, right? And people. they're like that. That's our thing. Yeah, maybe Where? could be that. Um, anyways, we're here to discuss the the Middle Earth conflicts so we've got to talk we've got to talk about the Silmarillion um, because that's the book that contains information about the first age which you have read and I have not and I have not read it in a long time although I've reread <laughs> I've reread portions of it especially today prepping for this and as I said before prepping for this turned into like it felt like legit historical research which is something I've fallen into with Tolkien before where like I'll get caught up in a question of, of geography or history in Middle Earth that seems to take on the dimensions of a, like a real world history question, mm. if that makes sense. Well, I was prepping for uh, Dwarves and Elves and Legolas and Gimli. I out-nerded the nerds at my lunch table at school. Who were the, what were the nerds about? Other, I don't know, there are other teachers. But they were like, you want to talk about Tolkien? Bring it on. And yeah, someone was like, like, all right, like, I, this. I can look this, I can look that up. 
And then I was like, how, like, here's a really like specific question. And she's like, oh, that's beyond my nerddom. And someone else was like, well, I don't know if you know this, but I teach English and like I know this. And like, what about this? And she was like, yeah, maybe not. What was the question? <laughs> I don't remember. It, it out nerded the nerds. But it wasn't about elves and dwarves. It was. It was. I mean, it was, but it was like deep, deep dive. Okay, kind of and you don't. It won't arise. I don't or remember. It arise. Okay, it was like uh, yesterday. Word. <laughs> okay, so what? We are you willing to say what you perceive the conflict as being between elves and dwarves? Ooh, my perception. Yeah, as someone who's because read Lord of the Rings, they don't like each other because oh, it's like a breakup. You think they were together I, and then they broke up? Yeah. So mm. I think they had. I think they had good times. Wow. I mean, in time of Durin, they had good times because they built the gate and they, like speak friend and enter and they, into the mines of Moria. So like that point, they had good times. Um, and then they had a breakup, and now they have bad blood. <sighs> I listened to Taylor Swift today. I was gonna. I almost started singing it. Um, I don't. know. I feel like it was like competition the whole time, and then they get like sort of had an alliance and made it like made good. And then it kind of devolved again. Is that the second age you think you're talking about where things are copacetic? Second age, they sort of had some good times, but they may have always hated each other. And it's interesting that the second age, when everything's hunky-dory, is when they're both being suckered into crafting the rings. Mm. Not all of them, obviously, like the elite So it's like their hunky-doriness, are you contending their hunky-doriness was allowed by a joint endeavor? Yeah, and and sure, but the the sinister side of that is that maybe the endeavor was uh, like a ploy mm. from a sour ploy, which we know it was a sour ploy, right? Yeah, to broker an agreement between these two people that uh, in the service of something else that is ultimately bad for them. So this also goes to like the end of the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, when the dwarves and the elves are going to fight each other. They were about to go to war, to battle against each other, yeah. and then they made peace. Just and to they, kill orcs, and they had a joint endeavor to kill the orcs and the goblins. Sure. What do you mean the orcs and the goblins? What kind of talk is that? Because <laughs> that's that's, that's what playing. they said. Elves and dwarves. Um. So, can we also let's run through some like conflicts we know, like places where in The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings it kind of pops off between elves and dwarves. I'll go first since you since you described the conflict first. Um, in The Hobbit, when they're they're trapped, they're captured, what do I want to, they're imprisoned. In, in Merkwood. Merkwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the, that's Legolas's people, it turns out. That's Legolas's dad. Yeah, word. It's yeah. his father? What's his name? Do you know? We don't need to look. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Good answer. <laughs> the king of there's about Markwood. To, there's about to be a lot of that. Like, you remember, I don't know. So the Silmarillion, getting into it. Um, I think that the deal is this. Or like, I know that the deal is this. And I think the the complex that arises is, is such that I'll explain. Elves are the children of Iluvatar. And Iluvatar is the god above the gods. Like, it or he, it's coded he, I'm pretty sure it's coded male in the book. Mm. That character is the thing, the intelligence from which the gods, the, the Valar, emerge from. So he's not like Zeus in relation to the pantheon of the Greeks. 
He's like the thing from which all the Valar emerge. He's the he's the he's like the thing that which from which Zeus came. Sure, he's God, right? The something that's the cr- the creator of the universe, the or the universe itself manifested. That's Iluvatar, and that entity is directly it's elusive. Iluvatar, the elusive, mm-hmm. elusive Iluvatar. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Iluvatar speaks in the Silmarillion. Uses like it speaks to the Valar. What do you think his voice sounded like? Booming and terrifying. Got it. Mm-hmm. Very Old Testament. Yep. So Iluvatar creates the elves. He also creates men. He does not create dwarves. Dwarves. Mm. Dwarves are created. Dun dun dun. Prior to the elves awakening by a Valar named. Uh, Aule or Aula I'm not going to check my pronunciation this is a podcast about Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> so and it and that origin story which I'll read a little bit of is in of Aule and Yavanna that's a chapter in, in the Silmarillion so and the dwarves are like the grandchildren of Iluvatar men and elves are like, like that. children of the Iluvatar kind of like that but it's, the grandchildren the dwarves are older because they were yeah. created first. So the, and there's a lot of parallels in mythology. We were here first, right? Marr. But they don't really know that, I think, cuz oh, what okay. happens is Aule makes them and Iluvatar finds out um and it's kind of one of those like Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden and God knows situations. So he comes by and he's like, "What if, you know, I know what you did. Do you think that you are the intelligence of the whole universe here?" And Aule's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'll destroy him." Oh, and and also Iluvatar says to him, they're not even. They're not actually real because you. I didn't make them. So like, they're just. They're using. They're like responding to your thoughts. They're like puppets or whatever. Damn. Yep. They're like that's your, harsh. They're like your puppets, and and so Aule's like I'll I'll it's like they them. don't even exist. They're puppets, and then the maker of the doors like oh that's fine I'll I'll I'll, I'll recommend yeah it. he's like I'll erase them I'll throw them away yeah it's like he has they have no free will is what Iluvatar says I'm gonna read it damn and then but then Aule takes out his his hammer. And he's like gonna smash them. There's, mm-hmm. I think it's seven dwarves because they're only made of clay. But they quake and they quake and in, in fear. And Iluvatar is like, psych. Obviously, they have real will and feelings because um, they're acting scared. Mm. So you keep them, but you got to put them away until I wake up the my children. And those are the elves. Wait, who said psych? Iluvatar. Oh, Iluvatar. He doesn't actually say it, obviously. This is this, is, this feels very like um, Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the same kind. I mean, it comes from the same culture, right? To- in the sense to, that you Tolkien need to kill is in- your son, and then he's doing like, no, 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 no thanks. Like, I know you were going to do it, okay, but don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I just so, want like, I guess I just wanted to know that you would do it, and Iluvatar's like, I guess I just wanted to know that they were sentient. Yeah, or. Yes, and in both cases, it might also instead be something like, um, how far is this dude willing to go? And then when he does it, I'm going to be like, don't do that anymore. So that Old like, Testament, don't kill, the Old know, Testament thing of the booing voice apparently is more accurate than we thought, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. You mean in the sense that Iluvatar's... Because Abraham and Isaac are from the Old Testament. You're saying Iluvatar's modeled on Yahweh to a certain extent. Could be. Sure. The way he acts is... Uh, yeah. Um... Anyways, so then Alway puts the seven dwarf elders, the father dwarves, he puts them like in, I think he spreads them out and he puts them to sleep under mountains and then they wake up later. 
Seven. I think so. We're going to find out. I'm going to read from it. You ready? Because weren't seven rings given to the dwarf lords? Seven rings for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We're this into is... voices, apparently. We've broke, broken that barrier. I know. It's like we've been playing d and I'm going to read the whole thing, yeah? Is that all right with you? Yeah, go for right. it. It is told that in their beginnings, the dwarves were made by Aule in the darken, darkness of Middle-earth. For so greatly did Aule desire the coming of the children, that's the elves, right? To have learners to whom he could teach his lore and his crafts, that he was unwilling to await the fulfillment of the designs of Iluvatar. And Aule made the dwarves even as they still are, because the forms of the children who were to come were unclear to his mind, and because the power of Melkor was yet over the earth and he wished therefore that they should be strong and unyielding but fearing that the other valar might blame his work he wrought in secret and he made first the seven fathers of the dwarves in a hall under the mountains of middle earth there's also so, seven dwarves in snow white it's wacky uh, wacky huh interesting so yeah. there's like they're links throughout all of these things also they're unyielding aka stubborn mm -hmm. and they were wrought underground that's where they're from. They're of the earth. So along yeah, comes yeah. Iluvatar, right? Now Iluvatar knew what was done and in the very hour that Aule's work was complete and he was pleased and began to instruct the dwarves in the speech that he had devised for them, Iluvatar spoke to him and Aule heard his voice and was silent. And the voice of Iluvatar said to him, Why hast thou done this? Why dost thou attempt a thing which thou knowest is beyond thy power and thy authority? For thou hast from me as a gift thy own being only, and no more. And therefore the creatures of thy hand and mind can live only by that being, moving when thou thinkest to move them, and if thy thought be elsewhere, standing idle. Is that thy desire? Then Auli answered, I did not desire such lordship. I desired things other than I am, to love and to teach them, so that they too might perceive the beauty of Ea. Ea? <laughs> however the world and universe is pronounced which thou hast caused to be for it seemed to me that there is great room in Arda for many things that might rejoice in it yet it is for the most part empty still and dumb and in my impatience I have fallen into folly yet the making of things is in my heart from my own making by thee and the child of little understanding that makes a play of the deeds of his father may do so without thought of mockery but because he is the son of his father but what shall I do now, so that thou be not angry with me forever? <laughs> As a child to his father, I offer to, to thee these things, the work of the hands which thou hast made. Do with them what thou wilt, but should I not rather destroy the work of my presumption? Then Aule took up a great hammer to smite the dwarves, and he wept. But Iluvatar had compassion upon Aule and his desire because of his humility, and the dwarves shrank from the hammer and were afraid, and they bowed down their heads and begged for mercy. And the voice of Iluvatar said to Aule, Thy offer I accepted, even as it was made. Dost thou not see that these things have now a life of their own, and speak with their own voices? Else they would not have flinched from thy blow, nor from thy command, nor from any command of thy will. Then Aule cast down his hammer and was glad, and he gave thanks to Iluvatar, saying, May Eru bless my work and amend it. Eru and Iluvatar are the same person. This whole so thing like, is also an elvish story. The elves are telling the story. I think so. So there's the elvis, elvish bias? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It seems very Abraham Isaac. Yeah. It's a good parallel. 
Um, I think that what we've just read... It also feels like, I made this stuff. Well, I don't like it. Oh, I'll destroy it. No, don't destroy it. And also, there's also like, uh, destroy it. Don't destroy it, but uh, put it away because the the prime like the um the prime being i'm about to bring into existence like this prime being cuz luvatar is about to wake up the elves wake them up yeah i don't know exactly i would we'd have to dig around in there a little bit but i does that imply i don't that know if they they're like lying exist? yeah it's almost like they're lying there but i don't know they wake up at oh, the lake so if they're like waking them up and the elves are the primaries is are they angelic the elves yeah is there a parallel of like angels? Yeah, well, either way, they're like, they're preferred. They're like, uh, what I'm angling for is a paradigm of dwarves being second class citizens in Middle Earth. Yeah. They're the second to wake up. If they're even the second, the humans might even come second. Um, but it's it's explicitly like these guys can't be around until after because they're not, they're not the part of the plan. Right. They're like this extra thing. That's rough. Yeah, sure is. And it colors the entire history. So um, then there's an issue of this this thing that I didn't really know about until until a few days ago or like, you know, when I started researching for this episode. Petty dwarves. You ever heard of the petty dwarves? Petty like they're smaller. Kind of, yeah. Petty like they are going to get you back on Instagram. They're going to be I think both. on Snap. I think both, yeah. Mm. So and this is this is from the Silmarillion and um, this is I gotta actually check but I think I know that yeah I got it here. Petty like they're gonna start some drama in the cafeteria at school. It's in the it's in the chapter of Torin Torumbar who's a he's a famous dude in the Silmarillion and I'm not gonna get too into his story um, because it's that's not what we're talking about but the question of like who did what first. Right, like who started? The, who started? <laughs> well, I didn't start it. She started. Yeah. I didn't start. He started. That question is not really answerable. Man. But but if you trace it back, I think it gets back to this. So first of all, there's petty dwarves. That's a term that's used in in the Silmarillion to refer to some dwarves that are alleged to be outlaws or outcasts from dwarven cities who over time have degraded. They become like furtive and smaller and sneakier and like outlawish. Sort of how Gollum became. How he became kind of yeah, kind of to dwarves proper as Gollum is to halflings proper, right? Yeah. Um, so this what it says in the in the Silmarillion is that the early uh, Noldor exiles these are these are elves that left Middle Earth and went to Valinor and then came back for a variety of reasons. Um, that that they when they came back in they hunted and killed the petty dwarves thinking they were orcs. So if you want to, like, so there's this concern, you know what, does that make sense? That's an ugly way to start a relationship, right? They're coming back to town after being in the promised land, and they start killing these killing these dwarves who are living there because they think they're orcs. Mm. It's like you move back into a house and you start killing all the rats. Sure. and th- But then you're like, oh, they're, they're like, not. Oh, they're not rats. These were, like, whatever. A different civilized, yeah, a different civilization or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then, so then they kind of take their land. The Noldor kind of take their land. Um, so there's this guy. You find Mim. the rat city underneath, and you're like, oh snap! They were sentient. That's exactly. And like, I think there's an animated. I think I've seen like an animated thing like that. There's rats versus humans or something. 
and then there's a whole city of rats and then he finds them they're like oh snap i didn't realize you were this advanced Rats yeah, catapults and they're throwing stuff. I don't know that story, but there's. I think it's. I think it might be on Netflix. There's one about newts that's like that. There's it's one about like apes that's like that. Love, death, and robots. Word. Um, it's you know you're kind of right though because literally what happened is they find all these the the elves the el- the Noldorian exiles they find all these tunnels and and palaces made underground and they take them over. Oh, really? What it's like is uh, hunting whales. And then you're like, yeah, they're stupid. They don't have consciousness or whatever. And then you find out that the the female with the female whales that are being hunted dive very deep, but the males are still blowing, um, still on the surface. So the boats follow the males up up to wherever, and the females like duck and go off. And you're like, oh snap, they did that. Oh, like they're birds, smart. Yeah, birds do that too, right? But you only realize that because you have a helicopter also chasing the whales. Wow. Um, the, that's based on something that really happened with orcas in Puget Sound. That's interesting, but what does that have to do with the elves and dwarves? Knowing that they like you come back, you're hunting them, but then you don't realize that they're, then they're like, oh yeah, you're sentient, you're actually conscious, you're more than you're not orcs, you're capable of of mining and cr- crafting. Right. Yeah. We so probably shouldn't kill you. When we get to Mim, who's like a character in the Silmarillion, he's a petty dwarf. I think he's the last of his kind, and I think he's got two sons. And they're living in a place called Amon Rud. That's a that's a hill in a place called Nargothron. And that's a that's a famous in the Silmarillion, that's a famous elvish like stronghold. Um there's a ton of treasure there. It's a good name for a stronghold. Nargothron, yeah. Nargothron. And that, that was already the Dwarvish like previously it had been a Dwarvish settlement called Nulukizdin. Again, this is getting pretty wacky with the with the pronunciation stuff, but I have to double check something. I'm sorry. Okay, petty dwarves. There's a dwarf named Mim, and he's living. He's one of the last of the petty dwarves, the last of a kind, with his two sons, and he's living in a place called Amon Rud, in a place called Nargothrond. Before Finrod Feligand moves into Nargothrond, where he is established as like a king. So dwarf dwarf lives here. Elf moves in to be established as king. Lots of petty dwarves live in an area called Nargothrond, specifically in a group of caves called Nargothrond, and also in a, under a hill called Amon Rud. Those are both places that started to be mined out and, and built by dwarves. The exiles, the Noldorian elvish exiles, come back from the Undying Lands, and they, um, they move in. And there's the issue of them and, and probably the, the elves that were already there hunting and killing the petty dwarves thinking they were orcs. Um, Mim is the last one. and uh, The last of the petty dwarves. He, he's the last of the petty dwarves and he helps he helps Finrod Feligand like flesh out the caves of Nargothrond. Finrod Feligand who... It's an elvish, elvish king. Yeah. Noel Dorian comes back from the Undying Lands. And then I think he might try to murder him. And then he gets expelled from Nargothron. The dwarf tries to kill the elf. And the elves are like, you're done. Get out. Yep. And the dwarf goes back to um, Amon Rud, which is nearby. It's like a nearby cave system. Um, and and at some point in over the next few years or, or during this time, Finrod Feligand, um, who, by the way, the name Feligand is, uh, it means hewer of caves in Dwarvish. So he's got some clout to get that name. Yeah, and part of that clout might be that 
when he and, and the rest of the Noldorians come back from, or the I should call them the Noldor, as the Noldor come back from the Undying Lands, they have all these jewels because there's an abundance of jewels there. <laughs> and uh, he pays dwarves from the Blue Mountains. Finrod pays dwarves from the Blue Mountains with all these jewels from the Undying Lands to make him this necklace thing, which is called Noglamir. So he's buying some bling, some drip. Yep, and it's it's probably made of mithril, and it's got jewels embedded in its stuff. And they complete that, and it stays in Nargothrond with Finrod Feligand. It's his, like, crown jewels, except it's a necklace. Pretty sure it's a necklace. It's called Noglamir. In the meantime, or over the course of the next X number of years, Mim, who's living in Amon Rud, is captured by orcs, um, and he guides them to Amon Rud, which is then sacked by Morgoth servant orcs. And then later, Glaurung the dragon and an entire army of, of monsters uh, in the service of Morgoth take Nargothrond. So Dwarf was captured and by bad guys or whatever yep. and like leads them to this place then the orcs and whatever by Morgoth with the dragon take it over yep. and then they Aemon Rud and then Nargothrond and then they move on to the neighbor Nargothrond mm-hmm. yep. of the elves mm-hmm. and uh, and the dragon the, the dragon moves in and sits on the treasure including don't, don't like animals sit on things sometimes like a dog it will sit on something and be like yep this is mine probably dragons do that for hundreds of years I think especially if it's gold or mithril <laughs> Noglamir is among the horde, and uh, it's that's what's going on in Nargothrond for a while. Is Glaurung sitting there, and then a human named Torin kills Glaurung, and eventually Mim, the petty dwarf, returns to Nargothrond. Hurin comes. He's a he's a human, and almost, he kill- almost like a Saint George killing a dragon. Yeah, without a doubt, um, Torin. That's like a whole. You know, thinking about this stuff made me think we should do an episode on men. Horn comes to Nargothron and he kills Mim, holding him responsible, presumably for everything. Um, so this human shows up and like, it's your fault. You yep. led these guys here. Man, <clears throat> stabs him. Yeah, he kills him. And then he human kills dwarf. goes in <clears throat> and he takes uh, Noglamir and he brings it to a place called Menegroth. And for a re- he's angry with, or he's maybe in despair. I, I don't know because I haven't read the book in a, in a long he's time. He's in his feelings. He's emotional. He he's is. Got his, like, whatever's yep. going on. And he throws Noglamir down before King Thingol. That's a different elven king. Um, he's, He gives it to him. He throws it down. And then he, I think he destroys himself. He's real upset about something. He's like, this is all man, man. Yep. This necklace. Yep. yep, exactly. And smash. Yep. And the way that they're treating this necklace is similar to the way characters in the Silmarillion treat the Silmarils, which are these jewels that are full of the light of Valinor, which is also the light of the sun and the moon. Those are the like football that is exchanged back and forth between Morgoth and the elves over the course of this book. It, that's what the Silmarillion is about. The wars of the Silmarils. There's something, there's something about this, this necklace thing that I can't, it feels familiar as like, oh, this beautiful thing, and then like, oh, well, I want it, but I want it. You don't mean the ring? Like, there's definitely the ring parallel, like, nobody can have it, we need to get rid of it. Right. Yeah, There's also, so there's there's some mythology of this, like, this beautiful thing, and then, like, the ultimate thing, you have to, the pearl. John Steinbeck, or there's another guy that wrote another book, it's based on, it's called The Black Pearl, and I can't remember who the author is. Maybe it's the pearl that I read in, like, seventh, eighth grade. Mm -hmm. That's based on a, 
I think uh, um, that's it. It's so it's so beautiful sin, yeah. and it causes so much strife, and they have to get rid of it. Yep. There is also that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, where a Coke bottle drops. I've never seen it, but I know that the premise. And then yeah. it, like people want that. Everyone wants right. the Coke bottle because it does this all this stuff. I think that yeah. movie that the making of that movie was problematic. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I've never seen it, but I just. I guess I assume the whole thing was problematic at this point. But I maybe think, I'm I wrong. think all of it's. I haven't kind of problematic. Right. Um. So, anyways, way later, Thingol, he's got the he's got the um, Noglamir, and he's also got a Silmaril, and the Silmaril's real shiny and bright, and the Noglamir's real shiny and bright, and he's like, you know, I want this Silmaril set in the Noglamir to enhance it. I want to upgrade my crown jewels. Mm-hmm. So he asks the dwarves to do it, and he pays them. And they lust after it, but they dissembled, this is a quote, they dissembled their mind and consented to the task. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit, but basically what, what happens is Thingol's always checking in on them, and when it's done... Is it done yet? Is yep. it done yet? Not yet. Is it done yet? Not yet. Is it yep. done yet? And then I need it to be done. Yeah. And then when it is done, the dwarves don't want to give it back. Thingol talks shit, and they kill him. And a war ensues. The Battle of the Thousand Caves, wherein Menegroth, which is where Thingol was king, is ransacked by dwarves, a dwarvish army. The dwarves flee and are destroyed by an elvish army. Noglamir, the necklace, is returned to Luthien, who wears it her whole life. Uh, then it's fought over some more, and eventually um, Elwing jumps into the ocean with it on. Almo, the Valar assigned to the oceans, turns her into a bird, brings her out of the ocean. She flies to she and Arendelle go to the Undying Lands using the Silmaril as a guide, and I guess it stays there. But maybe the Valar put it in the sky as a star or something. So they all right. So the dwarves the dwarves kill Thingol the elf. He's an elf king, yeah. Like that could be like the start the start of the war. But there's like other stuff going on because the elves are also hunting petty dwarves, and they're like, oh well, we killed these orcs, but now that we know they're, they're dwarves, we're, we stopped killing you. So there's like this other stuff going on. So like the spark of the the death could catalyst. be a catalyst, yeah. like the the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand catalyzed war catalyzed the First World War. Look, but in my life, I've looked up things on the internet like why do the dwarves and elves hate each other, and a lot of people peg it to the killing of Thingol. Well, why was World War One started? Well, Ferdinand was killed. Yes, and there was other stuff. Yes, and that other stuff I didn't. I, it was on an online like Tolkien forum where I learned about the petty dwarves because someone was like, uh, 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 you know, like really it could be the genocide of these dwarves by elves when they moved back into town. It's never so simple, is it? No. It's always, it's always pretty complex. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So this is just a little bit about the killing of Thingol. So they're making the Noglamir. The dwarves are. Long was their labor. And Thingol went down alone to their deep smithies and sat ever among them as they worked. In time, his desire was achieved, and the greatest of the works of elves and dwarves were brought together and made one. So that's the the elvish Silmaril, full of light, jewel, and the, the Noglamir, this, this the elves, necklace. The elves crafted the jewel, this big rock stone, Silmaril, dwarves crafted the necklace, yeah. put them together. Man, mm-hmm. how cool is that? And its beauty was very great, for now the countless jewels of the Noglamir did reflect and cast abroad in marvelous hues the light of the Silmaril amidmost. Then Thingol, being alone among them, made to take it up and clasp it about his neck, but the dwarves in that moment withheld it from him, 
and demanded that he yielded up to them, saying, By what right does the elven king lay claim to the Noglamir that was made by our fathers for Finrod Feligand, who is dead? It is come to him but by the hand of Hurin the man of Dor Loman, who took it as a thief out of the darkness of Nargothrond. But Thingol perceived their hearts and saw well that desiring the Silmaril they sought but a pretext and fair cloak for their true intent. And in his wrath and pride he gave no heed to his peril, but spoke to them in scorn, saying, How do ye of uncouth race dare to demand aught of me, Elu Thingol, lord of Beleriand, whose life began by the waters of Qvnn years uncounted ere the fathers of the stunted people awoke? And standing tall and proud among them, he bade them with shameful words be gone unrequited out of Doriath. Then the lust of the dwarves was kindled to rage by the words of the king, and they rose up about him and laid hands on him and slew him as he stood. So died in the deep place of Menegroth Elway Singolo, king of Doriath, who alone of all the children of Iluvatar was joined with one of the Ainur. He must have been married to a goddess or something. And he who alone of the forsaken elves had seen the light of the trees of Valinor with his last sight gazed upon the Silmaril. Bad scene. Yeah. Ugly language, yeah? Yeah, not good. Stunted, not good. What was the other one? Uncouth race. Uncouth race, not good. Don't like it. Nope. That's how the shit went down. Um, That's the long view. From- I'm also curious, like, what are the, the dwarves are like, well, you shouldn't have it because this human stole it, but, like, then the question is like, well, what are the dwarves, do the dwarves think it comes back to them? Right, uh, like, how does the ownership pass? That's like, a is thing. It, is it property? Like, what's the next of kin for it? And also, don't... that reminds me of, or makes me think of, uh, reading some C.S. Forrester novels about Horatio Hornblower and Sea Captain. There were all these rules about the spoils of war and who gets what. Right. And you capture something, the captain gets a share, the lieutenants get shares, the crew gets shares. But if it's not war, then it all goes to the admiralty. And you're like, oh, we're going to be rich because we captured a ship that's filled with gold. So we get like part of that spoils, but no, it wasn't wartime. So you get nothing. Yeah. I don't know where I've read this and I don't know if it was referring to the dwarves of Middle Earth, but there is, I think there is a cultural difference in terms of ownership. Like maybe the dwarves don't think that any gift they make for someone else is actually anyone else's. So they like you get it for your life, but when you die, it comes back to us. Yeah. That sucks with making deals with elves because they never die unless you kill them. And the dwarves do die. But, you know, the wealth is generational or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's how how do you view it. They're not on the same wavelength. No, elves and dwarves. Yeah. Right. They're assuming things. Maybe they're assuming things that are very different. Yep. Culturally different, perhaps. Yes. Maybe we can learn a thing or two. Yeah, and there are a lot of examples in um, our human history of this situation where there's a group of people living somewhere and another group comes in and both groups think they own the place. Um, And uh, I think it's just important to remember that unlike, like for the elves and the dwarves, they're actually, they're created by different characters and they're different races, like different, they're different species humans don't ever have that we're always homo sapiens versus homo sapiens so like it is it it, it's like some things on earth some nation problems on earth but it's not the same in the sense that they don't have a common ancestry whereas we on earth do 
And I bet the listeners can think of a number of different places where this occurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So given that ugly history, um, that's a first age history. That echoes through the next two ages, um, and we get echoes of that throughout in Lord of the Rings. Um, the resentment runs deep from like from the get first age. Yeah. So before we hit up this Lord of the Rings stuff, I'm just gonna make a couple quick points. Cooperation also goes way back. Um, as Gimli tells Legolas, his kin helped build the subterranean complexes of his folks' kingdom in Mirkwood. That's what Gimli's. I don't have a quote or a page for that, but that's what Gimli tells Legolas. Which is interesting how that's the same as what happened with Mim and Finrod Feligand. Dwarves helped build the subterranean complexes of his folks' kingdom in Mirkwood, the same subterranean complexes that Gimli's father was imprisoned in. So, I think from those all that's quoted stuff from the Silmarillion too, I think we can see kind of a policy of elven supremacy, or at least elven primacy, in Middle Earth. There's a notion of like. Elves are number one. Yeah. And it's also uh, nice to note that the f- Gimli coming from Glowen, who was also prisoner of the elves in Berkwood. So that's a direct link where your dad imprisoned my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get at that again yeah. in a minute, I think. So that's that, like Since we're in Merkwood... That's where it, that's where it went down between the dads, dad battle. The other relevant, like one other relevant link into the Lord of the Rings is the rings, right? Like with regard to the rings, this is just some things I was writing back at the beginning of our conceptualizing of this episode. Um, from my perspective, with regard to rings, the dwarves are, are sort of getting a shit deal. Um, the elves have three rings, and, and we've talked about they're kind of independent of Sauron's power unless he wields the one per Elrond. The nine men, uh, they get to keep their rings and they're slaves to Sauron's will, but they get eternal life, right? That's the payoff. But as far as I can tell, the dwarves get nothing but trouble from their rings. Uh, Sauron or someone who works for him is always, you know, torturing some dwarf to get a ring back or uh, coming around the Lonely Mountain to offer at least one <laughs> ring. Coming in, around the Lonely Mountain. Yeah. In, It'll be coming around the Lonely Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> with a ring. With a ring. With a promise of a ring. You know, It'll like. Be coming around the lonely mountain with a ring. Give me the hobbit and the ring that he has, and I'll give you the, one of these special dwarf rings. Um, so, yeah. So, let's get into the Lord of the Rings and, and Legolas and Gimli. All right. So, what were, we, what were we talking about? What were we talking about with the Gimli and Legolas? What do you want to talk about? Man, the first thing I had was uh, the setup of Gimli and Legolas' dads. Yeah. as And you're in the chapter, the Council of Elrond? Council of Elrond. Which is a chapter we come back to a lot, I've noticed. This is where, they're, this is where they first appear, is in right, they're not Rivendell. Even in, yeah, right, they're not in the book until then. Right. So they're not in the book until then. Um, Gimli's sent as sort of an ambassador... Glowin is there, Legolas is there, sort of be like, what's up with this thing? Gimli, would, they went to like check on, I think they sort of just happened to be there, not really knowing, not knowing the full weight of everything. But there's also, this is 60, 70, 
somewhere between 60 and 80 years after the Battle of the Five Armies. So you're saying, are you saying that Glowin and Gimli are delegates, and so is Legolas? He's a delegate from Mirkwood. Yes, to this council. But they're not really delegates, or are they? I think they're they sent to like be like, "What's up?" Boromir was just there, happenstance. Someone's someone there is just like sort of by chance. Yeah, I don't know. I thought Boromir came to talk to Elrond. Right, they're all coming. They're all coming to talk to Elrond, but some of them were just there by chance. Um, I got a couple. I got a couple quotes from that scene. Go ahead. Um, well, I noticing just things I noticed. Right, Gandalf in that in that chapter, Council of Elrond, Ballantine's three twenty eight. He says to the Council of Rings, "The nine the Nazgul keep, the seven are taken or destroyed." At that, and this is the narrator says, at that glow and stirred, but did not speak. And that's always interesting to me because I don't know why he's stirring. Discomfort at the mention of the seven rings. Yeah, I guess. Or almost, there's almost something kind of clandestine about it. Like he knows something that Gandalf doesn't know, which I don't think is the case. Gandalf, by the way, says that um, the last of the Dwarvish rings was taken from Thrain by Sauron at Dol Guldur in Mirkwood. Right. And it's presumably the same ring that was offered to the Misty Mountain dwarves later. Hmm, that's tough. Took this from your ancestor, but you want it back? Like not long ago, too, right? Like right. within the past within the past few decades, right? So I found a quote of from Glowin, uh, mine page two eighty six. He's talking about because um, they're telling the story that Gollum escaped from Mirkwood because he was under he was under guard. And let's see here. So they were like, how they were, they were talking about how they were treating Gollum, and Gloin cuts in. You were less tender to me, said Gloin with a flash of his eyes, as old memories were stirred of his imprisonment in the deep places in the Elven King's halls. So there's this, there's this like, <clears throat> still this yeah. like little, uh, and then Gandalf rebukes him saying quote that was a regrettable misunderstanding long set right if all the grievances that stand between elves and dwarves are to be brought up here we may as well abandon this council which is a nice set thing straight thing but also kind of a a nod to the primacy of elves a little bit right like don't bring up that petty stuff about how you were imprisoned by elves right let's get we're here at the council how could you you can't bring that up here Yeah, he's kind of like, yeah, you're fine. You're f- like, you're fine. Deal with it. We got other stuff. Yeah, and uh, frankly, like, deal with it yeah. part though. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. kind of like a hand waving back, motioning, and like, yeah, what? yeah. And this thing that like, off. oh, it's kind of, it's been tit for tat the whole time. Mistakes were made. Um, yeah, it's a little annoying on both sides. Right. Hmm. Right, as if they're yeah. As if there's not a supremacy model, or as if the supremacy model is not to be questioned. Right. It's dismissive. Just so you know, gentle listener, I am headed toward a notion here that that Legolas and Gimli are like their friendship is sort of like a healing thing or a convergence of, you know, like a Romeo and Juliet kind of deal. So the dwarves and elves are the Capulets and Montagues. Yeah, they're going to heal. Their union is going to heal 
the rift between the Capulets and the Montagues. Oh. Dwarves and elves as races are the Capulets and the Montagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big family feud. Gimli and Legolas, the bromance... From ancient grudge. ...of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting with. Different ending. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, different Different ending. ending. Happier ending. Mm. There's all, there's one, one more thing about that ring thing. There's maybe a suggestion to this whole notion that the elven rings are pure because the elves crafted them alone, whereas the dwarves crafted rings with Sauron and they're like tainted somehow. That's like a notion, right? That the humans and the dwarves messed up with the rings and the elves did it right. The elves were not made with Sauron. Is that right? Delves rings were crafted without Sauron. That's the story. Yeah, that's the story. And the, all the other rings were. I guess so. Which again is a little. It's just kind of like a little unbelievable given the craftsmanship that the dwarves are capable of. Like they really couldn't do it without Sauron, but the elves could. Well, maybe they could, but they just let him in. Maybe, yeah. Because they're naive and gullible. And the elves, I mean, are, the elves are wise. They could make sage. all these wonderful halls, but why do they keep going back to the elves to make the halls for them? In Mirkwood and other... In, right. In Narfrond, Mar- so we just yeah. talked about. Nargothrond. Nargothrond. Yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of hard to believe that the dwarves like messed up with the rings in a way that the elves didn't. It's just part of this. It's part of the elven primacy model. Mm. There's something... I got an awkward parlay between Elrond and Gimli. Page 367, uh, Ballantyne's... So this is like the um, the company's rolling out. This is Elrond. He came out with Gandalf and he says this long monologue. It ends with, the further you go, the less easy will it be to withdraw. Further you, closer you get to Mordor or whatever. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not yet know the strength of your hearts and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. And then Gimli kind of butts in and he says... Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, said Gimli. Maybe, said Elrond, but let him not vow to walk in the dark, who has not seen the nightfall. And then Gimli again, yet sworn word may strengthen quaking heart, said Gimli. Or break it, said Elrond. Look not too far ahead, but go now with good hearts. Farewell, and may the blessing of elves and men and all free folk go with you. May the stars shine upon your faces. And I just find that to be an awkward parlay between a, a relatively young dwarf and an old elf. Like this kind of one-upsmanship um, where like proverbs are concerned. They're like swapping proverb in a, like a proverb swapping battle. I think it highlights kind of like the... Uh, he's pretty resentful. Gimli is. Yeah. Why is he resentful? Because of uh, multiple thousands of years of am- en- enmity between dwarves and elves, which is interesting, because he's not multiple thousands of years old. No, he's got a he's got a chip yeah. on his. He's got a what's I like a grudge, a family grudge, passed down generation to generation. Blood feud. Let's call yeah. it. Yeah, interesting how that lasts over time. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Moria a little bit. To get to Moria, uh, Gandalf one point says these are the walls of Moria, and there the gate stood once upon a time the elven door at the end of the road from Holland by which we have come. So this is elven door, elven door and a dwarvish kingdom, second age sometime. We know this because uh, at one point he says the 
letters or whatever was inscripted by Celebrimbor, who we know is a second age character, second age elf. So Gandalf's there, they're like, well, here we are at last, said Gandalf. Here the elven way from Holland ended. Holly was the token of the people of that land, and they planted it here to mark the end of their domain. For the west door is made chiefly for their use and their traffic with the lords of Moria. Those were happier days, when there was still close friendship at times between folk of different race, even between dwarves and elves. It was not the fault of the dwarves that made that friendship mm. waned, said Gimli. I have not heard that it was the fault of the elves, said Legolas. I have heard both, said Gandalf. And I will not give judgment now. I beg you two, Legolas and Gimli, at least to be friends and to help me. I need you both. The doors are shut and hidden. And the sooner we find them, the better. Night is at hand. So that's that same thing again. It's popping up and Gandalf's like, all right, all right. Yeah. Not now, not now. <clears throat> Isn't it funny how he says, I need you both to be friends and help me with this door. And he probably means I need you to both be friends with me and mm. help me. But it, yeah, that's it's got that yeah. kind of wry possibility that it's like, you know, they look across at each other <laughs> with guarded glances and they're like, yeah, I can give it a shot, you know? So it's like a double entendre. You know, the, and the, it's, also, it's also that joint endeavor. Yeah. It's coming back. Mm -hmm. So this is off text, but I'm thinking of this book I read recently <laughs> called Six I of see. Crows, which some of the listeners might have read. Um, and I don't remember the characters' names, but there's um, like, a, like a boy and a girl character, and they're obviously in love. But they're also from people that are rivals, and they themselves were rivals and, uh, you know, like life and death competitors in a, in a, in a war context prior to their joint venture as uh as like youth thieves it's 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 very similar except that it's explicitly erotic and legolas and gimli is explicitly platonic i would say mm. mm -hmm. all right so so it's it's a little, it's coming together for legolas and gimli right yeah, yeah you know they're working on it they're they're they've acknowledged that they both feel that they've been wronged by the other's people so that's like step one Yep. Of like a multi, many, many stepped process. Legolas, typically elvish with his, uh, or I guess I should say typically elven, with his it, kind of passive aggressive. I have not heard. I have not heard that it was the fault of the elves. Right. It's not. So they find this door, and these like letters come out in elvish character. Um, this, they're like, it's shining. Uh, more clearly than all else, they're shown forth the middle of the door, a single star with many rays, blah, blah, blah. And these are the emblems of Durin, cried Gimli. And there is the tree of the high elves, said Legolas. So we have, and then Gandalf comes in again, and the star of the house of Finior. They wrought in Athelion, the mirrors in starlight. So this door is coming out. It's got both emblems on it. There's a wonderful illustration of it. So the door, the door is uh, as Tolkien imagined it because he draws it explicitly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is back in a time when the elves and the dwarves had like a friendship, a kinship, an alliance, whatever it is. They're friendly with each other at, in this place in that time. And enough, to build, like, enough to build a door together. Yeah, enough to build a door together. Maybe that's small, but whatever. It's Celebrimbor, he's part of it. Durin's part of it. So that's, that's what I want to say, Moria. I don't, there's not much noteworthy from inside that I have much on. I mean, Gimli's... Gimli's like in his realm and he's like, oh, you should have seen it. So Gimli's coming alive. Yeah, because he's in the home of the ancestors. Yeah, like, right. yeah the home of the ancestors. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and then in Lothlorien, there's a lot of content, right? The only thing I have to say about Lothlorien is that it's um, this is where I think this is where Gimli really becomes enamored with elves in a new way because yes, he, for sure he loves Galadriel. So yeah, so they get out of they get out of from Moria and then they get into Lothlorien. Um, before they before they meet before he gets to Galadriel, does Legolas get him in? In a way that's... I mean, I know that it's uh, an indignity to him that he has his eyes bound. But um, is he, like, not going to get in except for the fact that Legolas is vouching I for him? I don't know about that. Well, I wanted to go before with what you were... Before you were talking about. Before um, Lorien? Well, we're in, like, within the Lothlorien chapter in Fellowship, uh, Legolas starts to sing. But then on my page 382, the voice of Legolas... Like, he's singing this song... Blah, 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 blah. The voice of Legolas faltered and the song ceased. I cannot sing anymore, he said. That is but a part, for I have forgotten much. It is long and sad, for it tells of how sorrow came upon Lothlorien. Lorien of the Blossom, when the dwarves awakened the evil in the mountains. But the dwarves did not make the evil, said Gimli. I said not so, yet evil came, mm. answered Legolas sadly. So this is that same thing of like, Ah, oh, the dwarves did this. Ah, oh, we didn't do this. We didn't, we didn't, like the dwarves awakened it. We didn't make it, though. And again, with the, I, well, I'm not saying. Right. <laughs> so, like, it's still there. I, like, it kind of feels a soft, like, it's softened. It's softening because, like I said, I said not so, right. yet the, evil came. So that, and he's sad. The narrative setup here. He's not getting, like, super defensive and he's not fighting back. The narrative setup here is that they're going to have a couple of these interactions and then they're going to, they're going to become friends, right? That's, like, right. how Tolkien is, is, um, cueing us to their growing friendship right so it's like it's like it seems like a very subtle softening yeah. but also i don't atmosphere. know this story so what a balrog terrorized lorian or lothlorian did, what did they awaken oh man don't you don't have to go for it you just don't know off the top of your head i don't know off the top of Neither my head, do I. i'm assuming it's the dwarf dwarves awaken the evil in the mountains that's the balrog i guess it could be all kinds of evil too over deep the past too greedily. few thousand years yeah same balrog huh same balrog or maybe there's a like a hive of them or a nest of them isn't it interesting too to be like like that really is a dwarvish problem it sounds like they're in Kazadum and they awaken a balrog and it messes everything up and this elf is like ah uh, that really affected yeah, Lorian. well yeah but what happened to it or does i don't it know i've never economy like yeah i don't know all the other things did the dwarves move out and like we don't know different age i like the idea that it affects the economy and that's like you messed up your economy and then you couldn't give us the thing nah. yeah. bronze age collapse yikes all because of a balrog maybe we don't even know um so then there is this thing where they get into it um the elves capture and they're all like oh legolas you're good you're one of us but we could have shot this dwarf in the dark he breathes so loud and they're like, yep um they they're like you got to get off the ground because they're orcs and we don't want the orcs we don't want to have a real big battle here we're just a scouting party they the elves go up in one tree and they the fellowship kind of goes up in the other and they say Legolas you got to vouch for them we'll trust you in this situation as we're hiding but that dwarf they, that dwarf breathing loud thing there's a consistent we're gonna Aomer says something rude about dwarves also and we heard already Thingol say it they're they're just kind of like um, the whipping boy of the of the fantasy community there's just a lot of jokes at their expense right. Mm. Yeah, no one's cracking like, jokes about elves. I guess they're like the things they're saying about dwarves are 
like petty, like middle school kind of thing. Yeah. Like, ooh, you smell bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, well. Like when, yeah, when Thingol, when Lord Thingol of Balerion screws up, they're like, he spoke, uh, you know, he wasn't thinking clearly. Right. But with dwarves, they're like, you know, he stinks. He uh, he breathes hard. He's right. short. Right. You know, her little legs. So then, Haldir of the elves of Lothlorien says, "Like, all right, you gotta if you're you come this far, you gotta go all the way. Uh, but we're gonna blindfold the dwarf. Oh, he's the only one. He's the only one that oh. he's the only one the elves wanted to blindfold. Yeah, that's again. Gimli's like, oh no, that's that's like. Oh, so this is on page three eighty nine. As was agreed, I shall here blindfold the eyes of Gimli, the dwarf, and others may walk free for a while until we come nearer our dwellings. Uh, this was not at all to the liking of Gimli. The agreement was made without my consent, he said. Hashtag consent. Mm-hmm. I will not walk blindfolded like a beggar or a prisoner, and I am no spy. My folk have never had dealings with any of these servants of the enemy. Neither have we done harm to the elves. I am no more likely to betray you than Legolas or any other of my companions. So he's like, this is, you're, it's unfounded. He's Shut a up. very modern dwarf, right? Like Mim, in contrast, is in his few scenes, he's very submissive and groveling. This first age, quote, petty dwarf. Um, like when his son, he, his son is killed and he, he basically has to like beg um, and ingratiate himself with these lords of elves and men. Um, and Gimli's very assertive. Mm. He's a okay. 21st century dwarf. <laughs> man. 21st century third age dwarf. So Haldir continues, I doubt, I do not doubt you, said Haldir. Yet this is our law, and I am not the master of the law, and I cannot set it aside. I've done much in letting you set foot over Celebrant. Gimli was Obstinate, He planted his feet firmly apart and laid his hand on the haft of his axe. I will go forward free, he said. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is, this is feeling. You know he's serious when he puts his hand on his axe. Yeah. Then the, and the elf's like, well, yeah, like, I don't, like, of course, I, like, I kind of, like, I don't doubt you. You're fine, but it's our law. Mm-hmm. It's beyond me. Yep. This is the way the law is. Dwarves suck. We're not allowed to have dwarves. I, look, I've done. I've like I've given you grace so far. Like I've you've done. You've gone beyond what you should have done anyway. Yeah. So really, I've already done you a favor. Mm-hmm. This is feeling icky. Sure. Yeah, it is. So the deal is, Aragorn like brokers a peace. And like we'll all go blindfolded. Oh, that's why I think they all go blindfolded. We'll all go blindfolded. It's Aragorn? Uh, yeah. Ar- that's, so a good, that's a nice Aragorn. Aragorn moment. does that. Well, I mean, leadership, good. Like, so we're seeing some leadership qualities. And Legolas is like, no, I, this is my woods. I shouldn't have to do it. And Le- and Gimli's like, ha ha. Well, if the, if the elf does it, I'll, I'll be fine to do it so long yeah, as he yeah, does. Yeah. And he has right. like a little chuckle. So then that's an even... Th- and he's like, only the elf needs to do it. Like he and I will do it and everyone else can walk. And everyone's like, no... Does he We're say? All in this does he together. actually say I could just be? How about it's just me and Legolas? <laughs> like essentially, that's fun. Da, 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 um, da, da. you were about to talk about Galadriel. Did you say earlier to me on the phone today this thing about Galadriel, or did I hear this or read this somewhere no, else? I said this. We want the. Yeah. Here's the. Uh, I found the. Legolas Go ahead. Yeah, quote. yeah, please. So, blah blah blah. We will all be. Fl- Aragorn says we will all be blindfolded, even Legolas. That will be the best, though it will make the journey slow and dull. 
Gimli laughed suddenly. A merry troop of fools we shall look. Will Hadir lead us all on a string, like many blind beggars with one dog? But I will be content if only Legolas here shares yeah. my blindness. Yeah. I am an elf and a kinsman here, said Legolas, becoming angry in his turn. And then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, plague on there. Like, shut up. We're all doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's how they end up going forward. Yep. You, I'm going to say what I think you said to me earlier, and then you can clarify. Go for it. I think earlier today on the phone, you said to me, Gimli is in, Gimli loves Galadriel because she's the first elf to refer to place names using the dwarvish names. Yeah. This and is- that comforts him and makes him feel culturally relevant right it he's being his culture is being regarded with respect for the first time in the book yeah kind of like heard kind of like hurt seen and heard yeah so this is in this is in this chapter some this is in this chapter the next chapter this is in this section but also like i'm going to give a shout out to the youtube channel the nerd of the rings oh yeah right who like tipped me off on this one um because galadriel's husband What's his name? Whatever. The other guy is like, ah, dwarf, it's your problem. And Galadriel's like, well, rash indeed would be, like, I might say that this and this and this. And uh, Galadriel kind of rebukes him by saying, harsh indeed would be he who said those things. And then she goes on to talk, like, to mention these dwarvish places in the dwarvish tongue. And Gimli's like, oh, okay. Right on. Here we go. You know? Yeah, she's she's uh Yeah, I know. He's like, "Oh, you know stuff." Okay, cool. And you're willing to use the language rather right. than right. You know, it's like and I'm um monolingual, so I'm not in a position to claim this this behavior, but it's it's like when, you know, Americans go to Canada or go to Quebec, let's say, Caliborn. I was going to guess, and it's too bad I didn't. Damn. Um it's like when Americans go to Quebec and they speak French because they could speak English or they could speak French, but it's maybe just kind of just kind of polite to acknowledge that French is a language that people are speaking. Yeah, and I've heard that about people, uh, some friends who went to France, didn't speak French, um, but if they walk in just speaking English immediately, then the, they're like, yeah, these, these jerks, mm-hmm. these jerk Americans. But if they go, oh, uh, pardon, uh, no parler français, Parle inglese. Oh, that's Italian. Parle inglese. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're, they're met with a little more kindness, a little more hospitality. Like you make that effort. Like, hey, I see you. I hear you. I know that's not. I know that's not mine. Plus, I, Gal- I mean, Galadriel also has glamour magic. She's wearing the ring. She's got glamour she, magic. She does. I think she's powerful, and she can set a real uh, visual and like aural presence. And so. She also kind of enchants him. Or she... What's the word I'm looking for? She, in, I guess enchant. She charms him. Sure. She's charming. Charms the hell out of him. Um, do you want to talk about that scene or quote it? Because I, I want to mention this thing that happens in the two towers that's very similar to what happens um, in in Lorien when they... Yeah? I found, I found the quote from Celeborn of this do it yeah yeah yeah. all right so 
So this is Gimli speaking. Indeed, I saw upon the bridge that which haunts our darkest dreams. I saw Durin's bane, said Gimli in a low voice, and dread was in his eyes. Alas, said Celeborn, we have long feared that under Calatheras a terror slept. But had I known that dwarves had stirred up this evil in Moria again, I would have forbidden you to pass the northern borders, you and all that went with you. And if it were possible, one would say that at last Gandalf fell from wisdom into folly, going needlessly into the net of Moria. So that's interesting because he it's like he's suggesting that Gimli alone got the Balrog stirred up again. Mm. And he's just one-ninth of the party. One-ninth of the party. You know, yeah. they're, it's mostly men, right? But it's also the dwarves no, that stirred up this Like, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. The dwarves had stirred up this evil in Moria again. Right. He Again, he so means like, again, last month, week. Like, I guess, or like two days ago. Right. And the dwarves didn't do that. The You know, the, the fellowship did that. Right. One dwarf was involved. Right. So now he's blaming this thing on all. Because he can't blame Gandalf because Gandalf's not there. Because he knew the thing existed he before. Wouldn't, he wouldn't talk that way to so Gandalf. So it's not like a new Balrog. No, and he's it's also, like, you know... It's not also not ages ago, or is he talking about um, Balin had gone back to Moria maybe, and started Yeah, up that again. might be what he's talking about. Um, Regardless, it's he, directed at the dwarves. Yes, and also he wouldn't speak that way to Gandalf. He, yeah, he's probably Gandalf mad... Gandalf ain't here. No, I know, but he's probably mad that Gandalf's dead, and he probably wants to blame a dwarf. Yeah, maybe. Because that's the custom. So when Galadri- in, Galadri- you know, when in doubt, blame a dwarf. Galadriel responds, he would be rash indeed that said that said that thing, said Galadriel gravely. Needless were none of the deeds of Gandalf in life. Those that followed him knew not his mind and cannot report his full purpose. But however it may not it may be with the guide, the followers are blameless. Do not repent of your welcome to the dwarf. If our folk had been exiled long and far from Lothlorien, who of the Galadrim, even Celeborn the Wise, would pass nigh and not wish to look upon their ancient home though it had become an abode of dragons. Mm. Then it's uh, dark as the water of Kelidzarum, cold are the springs of Kibulnala, and fair are the many-pillared halls of Khazad-dûm in elder days before the fall of mighty kings beneath the stone. So she's like, yo, Gimli has like, yeah, of course he wants to go see the, the, the halls of his ancestors, his ancestral home. So shut up, and then she names these like wonderful places, and he's like, "Yeah, damn straight, right on." Yeah, that's cool. So a similar thing, th- this developing friendship between Legolas and Gimli. Um, so he, correct me if I'm wrong, we just talked about it, but on their way into Lorien, Legolas does vouch for Gimli, but they're like, "No, he's got to wear a blindfold." Right? It starts with Legolas being like, "You can trust him." Did you just read that? I don't think it's Legolas says you can trust him. I think it's the other elves being like, you are in charge. Like, you must vouch. Or like, okay. you have to vouch for them. Well, then um, it's but really... I, I could be wrong. No, it's okay. Either way, it doesn't matter because it, it really comes together in the two towers. Um, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas tracking the orcs. Yeah. Uh, the Riders of Rohan is the chapter. And uh, Aomer... And the Rohirrim. Rohirrim. Aomer and the Rohirrim roll up. Uh, he's suspicious. He he doesn't like Galadriel. He I guess they must be talking about how they they're, they're talking about how they came from Lothlorien. And the is the rider. It's Aomer. The rider looked at them with renewed wonder, but his eyes hardened. This is a human. Uh, then there is a lady in the golden wood, as old tales tell. He said, 
few escape her nets, they say. These are strange days, but if you have her favor, then you also are net weavers and sorcerers, maybe. He turned a cold glance suddenly upon Legolas and Gimli. Why do you not speak, silent ones? He demanded. Presumably only Aragorn's been speaking before this. Sure. Um, but he just kind of he just kind of messed up um, revealing his suspicions about Galadriel in front of Gimli. So Gimli rose and planted his feet firmly apart. Here is his, again. His hand gripped the handle of his axe, oh and his boy. dark eyes flashed. I've seen this before. Give me your name, horse master, and I will give you mine, and more besides, he said. As for that, said the rider, staring down at the dwarf, the stranger should declare himself first. Yet I am named Aomer, son of Aomond, and am called the third marshal of Rittermark. Then Aomer, son of Aomond, third marshal of Rittermark, let Gimli the dwarf Glowen's son warn you against foolish words. You speak evil of that which is fair beyond the reach of your thoughts, and only little wit can excuse you. Aomer's eyes blazed, and the men of Rohan murmured angrily and closed in, advancing their spears. I would cut off your head, beard and all, master dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground, said Aomer. He stands not alone, said Legolas, bending his bow and fitting an arrow with hands that moved quicker than sight. You would die before your stroke fell. Um... Oh. Arag- you know, and again, Aragorn's like, hey, chill out, everyone. Uh, but that's a great moment. That's, yeah, that's pivotal. That is pivotal. And I think what's what's led to that is this this hunt. They're like, again, joint purpose. Right. Um, common enemy. Right. And they've gone through this. They've gone through this thing. They're like, com- like common enemy, but also like common seeking of friends of the hobbits. Kind of like. Right. Common- they're trying to save right. Mary and Pippin. So common cause. Yeah. Um, so we've see, like this is a big turnaround where the Gimli's threatened, a dwarf is threatened, and Legolas, faster than sight, draws an arrow on this no marshal, question. being yeah. like, "You would die." It's no question at this point. Yeah, like and, you kill him, I'm killing you. We're all going like, and then of course, like he knows he's not going to get out. Like he's encircled right. by all these men. He'll die for Gimli at this. Yeah, point. yeah, they're yeah, so, huge. The other thing is. Um, this is a moment where they're in parley with a human, right? They're mm-hmm. not like in Lorien, Gim- Legolas. He's being pulled in two directions. He's got this developing feelings toward Gimli, but he's got this legacy as an elf, right? Yeah. Um, but like here, he's not. He's not parlaying with an with an elven king. He's parlaying with a dude, right? So he's like, I'm. I will waste this fool for this dwarf. <laughs> Yep. And the, like there's and there's no question it's instantaneous. From a very young age when I first read this book, I the the friendship between Legolas and Gimli is cemented in my mind at Helm's Deep. Is okay. that your is that your take? Is that when you, when you read this book for the first time or listened to it for the first time? Was that I mean, the, it's the counting thing. You know the counting thing? Yeah, for sure, the competition. Competition, counting how many orcs each of them killed. Legolas with a bow and arrow and with a knife. It's been knife work up here, he says right. at one point. Yeah. And and Gimli with the axe. Right, so... When I was a kid, I thought that was really funny. And uh, I don't think it's so fun. I don't think it's funny anymore. I think it's grim. Um like making a, a game a competition out of out of killing uh, other sentient beings yeah that's a bummer but it's a war and um it's meant to be funny right it's written to be funny 
Is it? Yeah, there's like a little humor, I guess. It's funny that they're bonding over killing orcs. That's right. I I guess it's I think it's supposed to be like and at they least they have no they have no love lost. See that like also like the five the five battle of the five armies when the orcs were called goblins. Like the elves charged, the dwarves charged. One of them charged first because their hate was stronger, but followed very shortly by the other army. Yep. They do not like them more than each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the counting of dead orcs is meant to be something like comic relief. Could be. And I think that the comic relief serves also to bring those characters into like a into like a humor mode. So there's this moment in Helm's Deep where, like, this is before the battle. They're in like prep for siege mode, right? right. Helm's Deep chapter, my page one forty seven. Gimli stood leaning against the breastwork upon the wall. Legolas sat above on a parapet, fingering his bow and peering out into the gloom. This is more to my liking, said the dwarf, stamping on the stones. Ever my heart rises as we draw near the mountains. There is good rock here. This country has tough bones. I felt them in my feet as we came up from the dike. Give me a year and a hundred men of my kin, and I would make this a place that armies would break upon like water. I do not doubt it, said Legolas, but you are a dwarf, and dwarves are strange folk. Also, Gimli called elves strange folk earlier on. So like this is like, mm. almost like verbatim back from the other side. And dwarves are strange folk. I do not like this place, and I shall like it no more by the light of day. But you comfort me, Gimli, and I am glad to have you standing nigh with your stout legs and your hard axe. The hard axe. I wish there were more of your kin among us. But even more would I give for a hundred good archers of Mirkwood. We shall need them. There will hear them have good bowmen after their fashion. But there are too few here. Too few. It is dark for archery, said Gimli. Indeed, it is time for sleep. Sleep. I feel the need of it as never a th I thought any dwarf could. Riding is tiring work. Yet my axe is restless in my hand. Give me a row of orc necks and room to swing. And all weariness will fall from me. I like how... They're both like, I'm glad I'm here with you. Yeah. But also, I prefer my own kind. Like, yeah. Legolas is like, I would love to have more dwarves around here, but I prefer archers. Yeah. Elven archers. And Gimli's like, it's too dark for archery, dude. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's like a friendly it's competition. Like, he's not saying you're wrong. But well, maybe that's also this, maybe the start of the competition there. I Yeah, I but think the, that... Like, what I like is they're, like, the comfort. They're giving comfort to each other. They're almost comforted by the rivalry between elves and dwarves. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like, it's becoming, it's turning from a hateful feud into like a friendly competition. the The strife between the elves and dwarves is refined in the relationship of Gimli and Legolas into something that's healthier and like happier. It's still competitive. It's still a rivalry. So there's, I also have the notes, there's still a rivalry, yes. There's that, sure. I find that, as I was doing this, there seems to be like almost a one-for-one -one mm -hmm. moment on each side. Yeah. So this is like Gimli is comforting two Legolas here in Helm's Deep on the stone, but if you go back some pages, Legolas was comforting to Gimli in Fangorn in the, in the yeah. wood. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Complimentary. Yes. Very complimentary. Yep. I have to opposite sides 
but like the opposite side, the opposite out. colors on the color wheel are complementary. Complementary colors, right? You got okay, it. Okay, so um, Helm's Deep, they're killing orcs. Yeah, and then there's a thing after Helm's Deep, um, and I, I, I think I got the, I know I have the quote, but um, talking about the caves. Yeah, Gimli waxing poetic on the treasures of Helm's Deep. Man, he goes off. Uh, he, I think he describes it in, in in erotic detail. He describes what the dwarves would do to it if they had it, and I think correct me if I'm wrong, he's riding with Legolas, talking his ear off. And they're On making the road plans to Isengard. And they're making plans to travel together after the war, yeah? Like he's like, come by some caves sometime with me. And Legolas is like, yeah, come with me to the woods sometimes. And again, they're like, oh, I can only do that with you or whatever, as long as you're there. Do you have yeah. the quote? I got the quote, if you don't. The quote of what? Waxing poetic? The whole thing. The whole dialogue. Whole dialogue? Maybe you do Gimli, I'll do Legolas. <laughs> How long are like of the road? Strange to trees, yeah. The road to Isengard. Strange trees. These are the strangest trees that ever I. S- These are the no. It's like they. How about well? Who's who does the middle bits? I'll they, do the. I will go paragraph for paragraph. They right? rode in silence for a while, but Legolas was that that part. Yeah, give that, and then I'll do Legolas's paragraph. They rode in silence for a while, but Legolas was ever glancing from side to side and would often have halted to listen to the sounds of the wood if Gimli had allowed it. Point being, Gimli won't shut up, right? These are the strangest trees I, that I ever saw, he said. And this is Legolas, right? Mm. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It's weird, though, because it was just saying that Gimli would have allowed it. And I have seen many an oak grow from acorn to ruinous age because he's so old, right? I wish that there were leisure now to walk among them. They have voices, and in time I might come to understand their thought. No, no, said Gimli. Let us leave them. I guess their thought already, hatred of all that go on two legs, and their speech is of crushing and strangling. Not of all that go on two legs, said Legolas. There I think you are wrong. It is orcs that they hate, for they do not belong here and know little of elves and men. Far away are the valleys where they sprang, from the deep dales of Fangorn, Gimli. That is whence they come, I guess. Then that is the most perilous wood in Middle-earth, said Gimli. I should be grateful for the part they have played, but I do not love them. You may think them wonderful, but I have seen a greater wonder in this land, more beautiful than any grove or glade that ever grew. My heart is still full of it. Keep going. Strange are the ways of men, Legolas. Here they have one of the marvels of the northern world. And what do they say of it? Caves, they say. Caves! Holes to fly to in time of war, to store fodder in. My good Legolas, do you know that the caves of Helm's Deep are vast and beautiful? There would be an endless pilgrimage of dwarves merely to gaze at them if such things were known to be. Aye, indeed, they would pay pure gold for a brief glance. And I would be give, and I would give gold to be excused, said Legolas, and double to be let out if I strayed in. You have not seen them, so I forgive your jest, said Gimli. But you speak like a fool. Do you think those halls are fair where your king dwells under the hill in Mirkwood, and dwarves helped in their making long ago? They are but hovels compared with the caverns I have seen here, immeasurable halls filled with an everlasting music of water that tinkles into the pools as fair as Kelidzarum in the starlight. And Legolas, when the torches are kindled and men walk on the sandy floors under the echoing domes, ah, 
Then legless gems and crystals and veins of precious ore glint in the polished walls, and the light glows through the folded marbles, shell-like, translucent as the living hands of Queen Galadriel. There are columns of white and saffron and dawn rose, legless, fluted and twisted in dreamlike forms. They spring up from many-colored floors to meet glistening pendants on the roof. You want to stop? <clears throat> goes on and on, right? On and on. And it's and it's after that um goes on and on Legolas. Oh, Legolas, my Legolas. Look how beautiful mm-hmm. Legolas. Keeps, yeah, it's nice that he keeps saying his name. Um and I'm not going to say my name. We're not, say my name. We've quoted a lot, so I don't think we need to quote the fact that they make plans. I mean, it's that's your understanding too. They make plans, right? After yeah. the, after the war. Come, let us make this bargain. If we both return safe of the perils that await us, we will journey for a while together. You shall, you shall visit Fangorn with me, and then I will come with you to see Helm's Deep. Beautiful. I'm glad you had that cued right up. Bam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's nice because at the end, they, they sure are going to travel together all the way to the Undying Lands um, at the end, at the very end. You think so? Yeah, really? Gimli, Gimli goes. What do you mean Gimli goes? Everybody goes, crosses the sea at the end of the book. The Grey Havens? Mm-hmm. No. What do you mean, no? You don't know where they're going, or are you surprised that Gimli goes? They do that? Yeah. Legolas I and Gimli both go. I didn't review that because I was like, no, they don't go. They do. They all go. Everyone they but Sam. Go. Maybe Mary and Pippin don't go. Sam doesn't Frodo go. Frodo goes. Mary and Pippin don't go. No. I didn't think, no. Yes. They don't get on the same boat. They go. Legolas and Gimli? Yeah, man. BS. He's the only uh, dwarf to go to the Undying Lands. I... And you know what? He's going to die there because he's not an elf. And the Undying Lands don't make you not die. They are themselves undying. And they're made for an undying people. They were made for the elves. Is it in the appendix? Yeah. See, it's not in the book. It's in the appendix. I mean, the well, that's a question of what the yeah, word... Yeah, I already know. The I'm story's the over. I'm holding the you book. Know, like, we, nobody reads <laughs> the 300 pages of appendix. You've said that multiple times on this podcast, and... It's page it's 340. Many like, of our listeners have read the end, like It ends. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm back, he said. End of book. End yeah. of story. Well, the Silmarillion's not part either of this book, and uh, we read from that extensively. So You did. It's the last entry, the last entry in the um, Appendix B, 1541. In this year... Oh, we got a footnote. Fourth Age, Gondor, 120. So this is 120 years after the uh, final events of the, you know, downfall of Sauron. In this year, on March 1st, came at last the passing of King Elisar. So that's Aragorn dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is said that the beds of Meridoc and Peregrine were set beside the bed of the great king. Then Legolas built a gray ship in, in Ithilien and sailed down Anduin and so over sea. And with him, it is said, went Gimli the dwarf. And when that ship passed, an end was come in Middle-earth of the Fellowship of the Ring. They're the last of the Fellowship. They're the last of the fellowship, and the last thing that happens in the appendix is Legolas and Gimli sail off in a ship of Legolas's own building. Well, that's sweet. How cute is that? But also, I'm frustrated because that's in the appendix. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about. How about it. this? Do you know the following rhyme? Legolas Greenleaf, long under. <laughs> Do you know this rhyme? Legolas no, what Greenleaf, like, long under. Say it or not? Yeah. Yeah, well, dude, I'm pulling it up from memory. Give me a break. All right. <laughs> Ready? It's in, the, it's in the book, but I got it book. in my memory. <laughs> Legolas Greenleaf, long under tree, in joy hast thou lived. Beware of the sea. 
Oh, yeah. When thou hearest the cry of the gulls on the shore, thy Didn't heart will then dwell in the forest no more. And you're doing that without text off yeah, but mind. Who, yeah, but who says it? Galadriel. Right, and it's like Boom. a prophecy. The yeah. point being, you're going to want to leave here and go to the Undying Lands. When you, which, when, you see the, when you hear the gulls. Which Galadriel has seen. Right. She's one of few characters in the book that has seen that. And came back. Yeah. Right. Came back to get the Silmarils that were stolen. Mm. Where this whole thing starts. This whole elf dwarf problem starts over jewels. And and like a territory. Territory and jewels in Beleriand. And that whole thing is like uh how Galadriel ends up on the scene. Okay. I don't know, it seemed like a roundabout thing, but maybe it's not. How do we want to end this? I don't know, uh, but there are a couple of, I mean, speaking to that friendship, some, like, evidence of this. Um, when they come into Minas Tirith, the elf and dwarf entered Minas Tirith, and the folk saw them pass and marveled to see such companions. There's also another, this is all in Return of the King. There's a part where it says, Legolas, this is many partings, Legolas and Gimli, as ever, rode together upon Arad. Arad. What's that? A horse? A horse. The name of the horse? A-R-O-D. Arod. <laughs> uh, um, Helm's Deep, Menning Partings, Legolas repaid his promise to Gimli and went with him to the glittering caves where they returned. When they returned, he was silent and would say only that Gimli alone could find fit words to speak of them and never before has a dwarf claimed victory over an elf in a contest of words said he now therefore let us go to fangorn and set the score right again this is that competition thing so this is the this is the follow-through for them traveling together after the war yeah competition um yeah to the end that's the that's the tie that binds them together right that's their shared it's like a shared trauma that they kind of perform an alchemy on turn it into turn turn the poison into medicine you know uh say more the about poison that. the poison is the rivalry the ancient blood feud between dwarves and elves that result that caused actual violence and, and their they, friendship that their friendship turns that poison into something more like a medicine where they can they can experience things they can experience the world better because of their friendship. Legolas is never going to go to Helm's Deep to check out the rocks. No, and Gimli's never going to go to Fanghorn to check out the trees. Not they would not do this alone. Right, only yeah. together. And certainly Gimli would not go to the Grey Havens and then cross the ocean. No, except they don't go to the Grey Havens. They start, they go down the Anduin. But either way, right. they go. So I wonder. Maybe this is the question. There's also part. Um, when they're taking the paths of the dead where Legolas like they get to this door and Aragorn passes in because he's like this is my this is where I gotta go and Legolas goes I, I fear not the dead and he goes in and Gimli's left standing there Gimli the dwarf was left alone this is on page 50 of uh, Passing the Great Company Return of the King his knees shook and he was wroth with himself Here's a thing unheard of, he said. An elf will go underground and a dwarf dare not. With that, he plunged in. But it right. seemed to him that he dragged his feet like lead over the threshold. 
and at once a blindness came upon him, even upon Gimli Glowen's son, who would walk unafraid in many deep places of the world. So there's like that also that whole thing. There's some shameful part about that with uh, with Gimli. So I wonder if this friendship that they have, if this like almost unbreakable bond by the end, is it forged through the shared hardship, maybe even the trauma of like searching, like following the hobbits, fighting in the battles, like Helm's Deep going through this, all of these things that they went through forges cements their friendship mm-hmm. that well for like forever bond and their proxi- truly a forever bond because they went to forever yeah. and the, their proximity to each other allows them it like takes them up to the next level it's like doing yoga with other people in a yoga studio versus doing it alone like the the pressure <laughs> the social pressure and the competition of having other people around even if you're not trying to be competitive about it is going to allow in my experience and i i've heard other people say this is going to allow the self to perform at a higher level because everyone's kind of there's kind of a comp, competitive edge to it. Yeah, there's like a there's a joint there's a shared experience. Sort of like if you make a your own if you make a jewel, how cool would that be? But if you get and like if people make a necklace, how cool would that be? But if you put them both together, cause a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's even more beautiful than anything. Like the sum of the whole is greater than, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So bittersweet, I guess, but maybe not. Mostly, maybe like bitter at the beginning and turning sweet at the end. I mean, the elves are done in Middle Earth. Legolas is like one of the last ones to leave. Yeah. And I don't know what the dwarves are doing, but uh, but Gimli's dipping, right? Yeah, Gimli dips. And it, I don't know. It is weird. He's gonna show up there, and it's gonna be he's gonna be the only dwarf. Yeah. There won't be a lot of hobbits, but there'll be some. Two. Two. And they're and the hobbits and the dwarf are gonna die there. And the elves, as long as they don't fall down the stairs, are but gonna Isn't it isn't it a metaphor for heaven and isn't the traveling a metaphor for death? I don't know. I in the in the context of the book, I don't think it is. Not but given the that the book, the book is, is a fantasy fiction, yeah. Then yeah. And then you can also be like, well, C.S. Lewis is part of this with, um, is like a friend of Tolkien. And you look at C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle and you're like, oh, they're in heaven all the time or whatever. Right. So yeah. like, it's it's sort of a parallel with that. To me, it seems like going to the Grey Havens, you're banned, like you're, you're leaving, you are leaving the world. Yeah. You're yep. leaving Middle Earth. And you are leaving the Earth. Where else are you going to go? In the Third Age there's a notion that to get to the undying lands it's not like you can just go west you have to like it's like a dimensional shift and that's what makes it interesting that legolas can navigate it himself i wonder if there's also a link to valhalla yeah yeah because they don't have to fight each other every night though when they get to the no it's like different it's not you don't have to die in battle but you have to do you get like you did a thing right mm-hmm. and then you're granted access yeah, whereas like you if you didn't do the thing you just kind of go to hell where you you just die do your thing you buried in like it continues yep but if you die gloriously if you did this glorious thing you get to go to valhalla and feast with everyone and the gods and so i've only got i think i because we're, we're at the end right yeah i think there's only one more thing that i'm noticing which is in terms of this original problem that i brought up of the children of Iluvatar being the elves and this notion of elven primacy 
and Alwe being Aule being Aule. the yeah, the being the father of the dwarves as a sort of like um like a side project or secondary um lower level of uh magnitude project. There's almost a there's almost a sense that Gimli kind of like redeems redeems the dwarves or is like Gimli being allowed to go with Legolas to the promised land is kind of like a final like the Valar are like all right dwarves count to like we will accept a dwarf mm. is tokenism certainly but like tokenism yeah because there's a you know thousands of elves hundreds of thousands maybe over there because this whole thing is tolkienism oh uh, we'll definitely have to end right there <laughs> i just wanted to <laughs> maybe gimli redeems the dwarves in the eyes of the gods or like le- yeah or like legitimizes them legitimizes like, there's something symbolic about uh mm. Yeah. It also is like, ah, why did they have to be legitimized? Like, why were they, the elves automatically legit and yeah, the dwarves like, have don't, to? Don't the dwarves like? Don't they already exist though? They do, but they weren't. They're not part of the project at the beginning. Yeah. To come to Valinor, that's like for the elves. Because the elves are supreme. Yep they're they're the primary they're the mm. children of Iluvatar. But what I'm trying to say is that this is maybe the beginning of a new perspective. <laughs> and there's no reason to think that another dwarf might not be welcome into the Undying Lands because Gimli has done it. Right. And the and the ancient feud between between elves and dwarves has been symbolically healed by these emblematic characters. Symbolically, yes. But we also have to be careful not to be like, well, this one person did it and... Right. Yep. Taken care of. Yes. Wipe our hands of that. Certainly. Because as Angela Davis says, freedom is a constant struggle.